Is that a judge you usually uh, appear before? Is that a clerk you're going to see again? I don't usually appear before any judges. (laughs) (laughs) This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. And like, I'm like telling her how nervous I am. She's like, oh, don't worry. And even after I get up there, I'm like, You know, I'm way overweight, sleep apnea, prostatitis, you know, fallen arches. I'm Sanders, and he's Liv, and we are two sorry excuses. Liveroo! What's up, Sam, man? Hey, man. Hey, what's happening, man? How you doing? doing? All right, how about yourself? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. How was your week? Eh, it's, uh, been okay. Had a little hiccup this morning, but besides that, like, you know... Like, literally, you had the hiccups? No, no, just a little work hiccup. Uh, kind of, uh, I guess I shouldn't go so into detail. But a snafu. Yes, almost almost led myself to be completely embarrassed in court. And fortunately, a clerk caught the problem before, before I did or before it came in front of the judge. Wait, was, I saved myself from arraigning, so that was nice. Was disbarment on the line? No, just stupidity. Well, you made to look like a moron, you know, being belittled by a judge, you know, all the stuff you don't want to deal with in life. Stuff is not so bad in college. Yeah, but post law school becomes problematic. <laughs> yes, and the person that was pointed it out to me has no clue who I am, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I had judge would remember my face. Yeah, (laughs) is that a judge you usually uh, appear before? Is that a clerk you're going to see again? I don't usually appear before any judges. (laughs) 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 Oh, it's uh, Mister Mister Levicari again. No, 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 no. He can't appear before us today. What's today? What's today? Have him come back in February. Yeah. So. it was uh, it was like uh, I was going in there to confirm a default judgment, and it turns out. That <laughs> wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Now, for those of the uninitiated, um, or those who have not graduated law school, or for those who have graduated law school but have chosen uh, to not practice law in lieu of a hundred and sixty-five thousand dollar law school loans, what describe what a default judgment is? Well, you know, you file a suit. If uh, the party doesn't answer within so many days, you can file a preliminary default. 
But after you file the preliminary default, you need to wait a couple of days and you can confirm the default, you know, which means that uh, they lose, basically. You know, I mean, all it does is, like, gives you an effect to go record the judgment, maybe in whatever parish for the uninitiated. A parish is the same thing as a county in the rest of the country. Uh, and, you know, it can affect, uh, you know, works as a lien, basically, if you ever try to sell your house or try to do anything. You know, because if somebody's not answering, you're, not get, you're probably not getting actual money out of them. So by definition, you are appearing in court, therefore you are representing the winning party. Yeah. Because the defaulting party didn't answer, didn't show up, didn't well, state their case, and therefore they lose. By yeah. definition, right? Yeah, by default. By right. not doing anything. Uh, so you've already case. you already have the win in your pocket. Yes. This is like if, this is like going to to midfield to shake hands after a game after you've already kicked the winning field goal. But of course, it's a very complicated issue. The case I'm involved with, like it's all about um, hijinks involving a succession. <laughs> You know, fraud, and I'm representing this guy who basically got defrauded. Your Honor, yeah. this case you know. is a clear-cut case of hijinks and tomfoolery. <laughs> yeah. We haven't I mean, seen so them. many words it is. So that's one of the problems with it. So there's multiple parties that are soon. You also, it's filed into the succession action to try to annul the judgment of succession. It's... It's all so there's so many working parts to it. So we filed the default against two of the parties, and then, uh, but the third party uh, answered the suit. Uh, but at the time, you know, I'd been led to believe that attorney was only representing one of the parties. Well, it was pointed out to me this morning that he actually answered for all three. I was like, ah. <laughs> uh. Because when I got the the answer, I just, you know, because I'd spoken to the attorney, he told me, I'm representing, you know, party three, you know? And, like, every time I've spoken to him, it's all about, I'm representing this guy. You understand? Did you, um, at any point, would you have been able to uh, exercise the old flim-flam defense? Your Honor, this is clearly a case of flim-flam. Well, fortunately... Because what you need to do to get up there in front of the judge, it was never going to make it in front of the judge anyway. You know, like, because you have to go get it. Um, you need to go get the record updated by one of the clerks in the clerk's office, you know. And they need to look through it. And she looks, she's like, okay, oh, here's the default. And she goes back to the, she's like, oh, look, he answered for all these people. <laughs> you know, I was like, uh. <laughs> Yeah, I, I felt really stupid at that moment. Did you start pulling on your shirt collar and <laughs> oh, patting like, down your me. brow? No, all I was thinking about what I was going to tell the guys back at the office, you know. What would Matlock do in this situation? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you temper the, uh, you know, a little embarrassed. I was just glad that never got in front of the judge because that judge would have reamed me. He would have been like, are you a moron? <laughs> Why, uh, Your Honor, as a matter of fact, I am, but I don't see how that's relevant in this particular case. I mean, this is on the heels of, like, the Friday before Christmas. Uh, I got back the decision on a case in front of the Fifth Circuit 
the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which as a guy who studied law like you, you know that's the last level before you go to the Supreme Court. Before the big time. Yes. It was a case that, you know, I went and argued. Uh, it was it was between Super Bowl and Mardi Gras, New Orleans. Okay. And this is where the seat of the Fifth Circuit is. And um, so they decide that week they were going to hold court in Houston or for like two weeks, I guess, during the Super Bowl and Mardi Gras. You know, they like to take it around the circuit a little bit. And that's <laughs> as good a time as any. So all the, you know, because Texas is a hell of a lot bigger than New Orleans. So there's way more, way more of the justices are from Texas. Right. So, so they're kind of peed off. They got come to New Orleans 40 something weeks of the year anyway. You know, so, um, so we're in office where I'm one of four attorneys. No one wanted to go to Texas. So I'm the low man totem pole. They're like, all right, you have to go argue this case in front of the Fifth Circuit. <laughs> I'm like, I don't argue BS cases in front of like the lowest level kangaroo court. You know, I'm going to go argue in front of the Fifth Circuit. And that was last February. Because it didn't fit into anybody else's desirable travel plans, you were arguing literally one step away from the Supreme Court. Yes. You At this point, you are the case that Roe v. Wade was before it became Roe v. Wade. Exactly. And, um, you know, all these, like my buddy Jacob, who I work with, who's my same age, but he went to law school right after graduating college, he... He argued in front of the Fifth Circuit about maybe five months before I did. And it was the first time he had ever done it in his 10-year career. And I'm doing it basically like two to three years in. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, man, people wait years to do this. Like, he's like, some people wait 20 years to get in front of it. Some guys never get in front of it. And then all he, he's like, you should be honored. I'm like, yeah, I guess so. But this sucks. <laughs> I, I hated that. That stuff in law school, you know, the moot court stuff. And then, like, all my buddies, you know, they're all, you know, working as slave labor at these big firms downtown. They're like, oh, man, that's amazing. You know, and all these guys, uh, you know. And here I am, guy that never goes to court. I go and argue. And then afterwards, you know, you, you run into these people from law school, and they're kind of like, you know how lawyers are. Oh, yeah. You know, and these people with these attitudes, you know, and they might be making a hell of a lot more money than me, but I want to be like, fuck you. I argued in front of the Fifth Circuit. <laughs> so, do they give you I a- had a really good case, too. Like, it was a case where the Supreme Court has been pretty solid in like three or four judgments involving the same issue. And, um, and the funny thing is, like, we're in a really conservative circuit, you know, Texas, Louisiana. Uh, down here, you know. Shoot so, first. Don't ask any questions. Yeah, it, it was involved. Um, long the Longshore Act, you know. Uh, would you, you know, the Longshore? It's a it's a very pro workers act, aka very uh, democratic, you know. Yes. Some very left, uh, but it's the law, you know. And uh, I go up there and I'm dealing with all these, you know, it was. Two of the judges were um, were females, but they were both like appointees by like George W. Bush or whatever, you know. And there was an older guy who was a he was a retired judge, but he was, you know, up there as emeritus, you know, sitting in. And 
he, I figured, would be was more reasonable because he was a George Herbert Walker Bush, and those people aren't the same level of ideologues. But whatever the case is, I was arguing the Department of Labor sent one of their solicitors, a.k.a. attorneys, to argue uh, alongside me, too. Now, who do, who do they typically send? Low man on the totem pole? No, they sent this lady. She was probably about 50 years old or so you know she's based up there in um you know either dc or northern virginia or whatever you know and this is what she does she goes and argues these cases like she's a you know she never argued in the fifth circuit but usually she's arguing i think up like in the dc circuit uh and probably probably up in i think what's new york it might be the first circuit Mm, you know, place generally she's up there. She hasn't really argued down here, but she she knew her stuff. And like I'm like telling her how nervous I am. She's like, oh, don't worry. And even after I get up there, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I just picture you getting up because you you it's uh, the appellate process is much different than what most people uh, picture in terms of of a trial. You know, Law and Order. Um, you know, jury trial. Uh, cross-examine the witness, et cetera, et cetera. That's what most people have in terms of uh, th- their their mental imagery of a trial. But describe the appellate court process. Totally different. Yeah, you get it's it's super quick. I think I had about maybe six minutes to speak. You know, and they kind of fly by. But even if you don't have enough to fill, you're up there as long as they're asking questions, which is the worst part because I'm prepared for them to ask me questions. Right. And I'm gone through, and I'm I'm kind of like. Please interrupt me at any time, you know? <laughs> but, like, it's like you're up there and you're nervous as hell, but then your six or seven minutes or whatever it was I went is over. And then she got up there and she she said her piece. Then the, um, the appellant who had gone before us, you know, gets up there and does his rebuttal, and then it was over. It was like it was less than a half hour. You know, it's not, you're not up there, you're standing there with your hands gripped on a podium speaking to them, and they might, they might ask you questions, you know, and you have to cite what, you know, oh, well, the Supreme Court said in Rambo 1, because that, that was the cases involved. There was cases involving the same topic called Rambo 1 and Rambo 2, you know, because it just happened to be that the guy's name was Rambo, oddly enough. You know, so you're citing the Rambo stuff, and then there's lights up there, you know, when there's, I think the light goes yellow when there's like two minutes left, and it goes red when you're ta- when there's ten seconds and you're supposed to stop or whatever. You know, so it's a very you don't you're not breaking out any exhibits. You know, you're not speaking to a jury. You're not doing like unfrozen caveman lawyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you just get up there and you say your spiel and you back it up. You know, it's it's a very um, it's it's kind of rigorous, you know, and afterwards, you know, your adrenaline's pumping when you get out. I was like, that was terrible. She's like, no, you're fine. You're fine. And then, you know, and then it, like that, it's all over. It is a very odd process. And then you're waiting. Ten months later, they give you the decision. And to the victor goes the spoils? And normally it's not supposed to be ten months later. It's supposed to be like within 60 days or something. But ours was taken forever. And we had our Christmas lunch, and then when we were coming back from the Christmas lunch, Jacob's phone blew up with the with the email. He has his work email tied into the phone. It was the notice that the decision had been made, and 
Not only have I now argued in front of the Fifth Circuit, I have won. Woo! And now I feel like I can just quit being a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I don't need to go to the Supreme Court. That's even more rare. I don't need to go there. I can stop at the Fifth Circuit. I've yep. I've done my job. I, I say that's it. And it's that. gonna and it's a published opinion, which means when it does hit the register, my name will be up there as arguing for appellee. You have to go out on top. Yeah. This is like Jim Brown territory. Yeah, that's what I feel Barry like. Barry Sanders, you know? Yeah. And then and then two weeks later after that decision comes out, I'm in the court fucking up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you should. Like, oh, have you argued before? You argue regularly? I'm like, no, I haven't really handled too many cases. I'm just going straight to the Fifth Circuit. Uh, excuse me, clerk. This isn't the way we do it at the Fifth Circuit Appellate District. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can see how this uh, this could present a problem here locally. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, on the uh, in the Fifth Circuit over in Houston, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, I head over to Houston. Um, that's just not the way we do it over there. <laughs> it's funny when you get admitted, you know, because uh, you need to get admitted to the Fifth Circuit bar. Uh, they send you this, you know, this this big old piece of parchment. It's all beautifully beautiful calligraphy and all this stuff. You know, like you have been admitted to practice in front of the Fifth Circuit, United States Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. You know, it's all awesome. It's still sitting in an envelope, shoved in with a bunch of other crap behind my desk at the office, though. <laughs> I don't even know where my law school diploma is, to be honest with you. You know, that's funny. I If you would have asked me that last week, I would have said I have no idea where my law school diploma is. But um, I was at my parents' house over the weekend and happened to be in my dad's uh, home office. And uh, it is proudly displayed uh, in his office above the fireplace. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I don't know if they're if that's where its final destination will be, or if that's yeah. just a, a resting place that they're holding it for me. I, at this point, I imagine that's its final destination. I don't know if I'd have a opportunity or a place to display it at this point, but yeah, um, they they're they're proud of it. So I haven't right. even framed mine yet. You know, because after after taking out the loans to fund a hundred. $60,000 in law school education. I couldn't just couldn't spend another $100 on getting it framed. <laughs> I got my Syracuse diploma um, shellacked and mounted. Oh, really? Uh, there were two ways you could you could get it. Um, and one of them was obviously framed and, and matted. And the other was they put it on some like wood, like a, like a nice yeah, carved I, I piece of wood. Um, I'm not sure why I picked that one. Probably the same reason I chose to have uh, a Syracuse class ring that I never wear. But I I started wearing mine. That was because my mom wanted me to get it. She well, bought it for me. You actually have a nice class. You've worn that um, a couple. Yeah, a couple I haven't times. worn it. I used to. I've only started wearing it since I started practicing because I feel like I need some type of jewelry on. But it, it's it's a nice one. It's just like it's an understated like ring. I'm not a big jewelry guy. It took me yeah. a while even to get used to my wedding ring. But yours is like that stamped crest thing. Yeah, I right. Didn't, I knew I wasn't gonna want to get like my my high school ring with the big blue jewel. On All right. Me. Well, that's what I did. Like an idiot, I got the big jewel, and I never wore my high school ring. 
<laughs> and then I got the college ring because my mom insisted, and it it was twice the size of the of the high school ring, but it was the exact same um, w- with a blue stone. Uh, yeah. I went to uh, uh, I went to a high school that school colors were blue, so I got the the blue stone, and the same thing in college. And they sat in a drawer forever and ever until it was time for me to buy wedding bands. And the yeah. price of gold was through the roof, so I melted down my college ring and my high school ring, uh, and I made you telling me that. Yeah, I made wedding bands yeah. out of them. I think you told me that when I was up there last year. That's really cool. Yeah, so um, you know, I, it, it certainly didn't go to waste. Um, and I still have know. my high school ring, but I haven't worn that since high school, and it's like it's probably like two sizes too big for my finger now. I mean, because I was 274 in that summer when I went to see my doctor before I, to get my physical before I headed off to college. I'm I'm about 216 nowadays. Yeah, what have you been doing, man? Are you do you have an eating disorder? No, I just I just don't have as much time to eat. <laughs> you know, I used to I used to have loads of time to eat. It's amazing just not eating as much does for you. Yeah. Like when I was starting living alone, or like like uh, when I moved down with Brian, I started losing weight because I was living in Boston where I had to cook my own food and I was doing a lot more walking because I was subject to public transportation, you know. And then that'll that'll lose you a bunch of weight right there, you know. Uh, yeah, exercise and eating right. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, the eating wasn't right. It was just that I wasn't right. You know, because when I ate, it was crap. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just it's you know, you don't have that access to that to your parents' fridge, you know? Where it's yeah. always stocked. Yeah, I got back uh this week, um I got back on the the exercise and, and eating right kick. You know, at this point it, it's not it's not a matter of vanity, it's a matter of survival, you know? Yeah. You, you get to you get to that that middle age mark, that 40 mark. And, uh, you know, you could either be going down fast or, you know, or, or really enjoying a, you know, a second half of a, of your life. But, um, I, you know, I'm way overweight, sleep apnea, prostatitis, you know, fallen arches. Yeah. It's just a big mess. So, um, so I got back in the swing of things. I went, uh, back to the pool. I'm a big swimmer. I was a swimmer when I was a kid, you know, always yeah. loved to swim, swam for exercise, like, just put me in a pool. It's like one of the places that, um, you know, I can kind of shut my mind off and just, yeah. you know, half an hour, whoa, feels like five minutes. So I got back in the pool, uh, been going like every morning, like five o'clock, trying to get there early, um, you know, coming home, doing some work, and then, you know, cutting, you know, cutting my day off about you know, three thirty, four o'clock, and then going for a run. You know, it's a it's a couch to five k kind of thing. Run, walk, run. Just kind of get back in the swing of things. You know, there's people listening to this right now that don't know who you are. Not right now, but will be listening to this. That probably think you're some like lean, mean, <laughs> <laughs> athletic dude. Oh, I go and do my swim, and I go for my run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know me. I have my kale shakes in between. Yeah. You're when in reality you're closer to that 
Jernigan guy for Florida State the other night that couldn't go back in the game. They showed him the sidelines with the stomach hanging over his <laughs> over his belt. <laughs> Basically, Did you see that the other night. No, listen. I was just thinking about um, about that. Um, you know, kind of in preparation for the show. We don't we don't do much show prep. You know, this is basically an excuse um, for two guys who love Syracuse and who are friends and kind of enjoy the same things to shoot the shit for an hour. That's the primary purpose. That's why, you know, I asked you to do it. You know, we have a good time chatting. Um, Not a lot goes into making this probably as as the 40 or so people who listen to it can attest to. Yeah. Basically, it's just stream of consciousness. Uh, bullshit and banter and i said oh what happened this week oh yeah the bcs i didn't watch a single snap um i heard it was a pretty um entertaining game but college football on my radar right now college football is my favorite thing to watch but right now it goes um nba professional wrestling college football in terms of, in terms of my tolerance and my ability to take that uh you know those events seriously yeah so i kind of uh, tuned out i heard it was well, a great game yeah it was a good game but they had this guy jernigan uh who, number eight on the defensive line not to be confused with number eight that got called for on the offense for florida state who got called for some ridiculous uh taunting penalty which prevent Florida State from attempting a two-point conversion at one point and would tied up the game in the fourth quarter but this guy was like one of their best their best defensive line Timmy Timmy Jernigan yes are you looking up his stats right now or whatever yeah his profile and they're like and this is just after Florida State had just gone on a drive yeah it wasn't the longest drive in the world but they'd gone on a drive and scored a touchdown uh so uh, Auburn comes back out. I think they might have ran two plays, and they're like, oh, big Timmy Jernigan has to come out of the game. And, you know, you're thinking, all right, he'll be out for a few plays. He was out, like, the whole rest of the drive, and they kept showing him. He's on the sidelines panting like a dog. On one <laughs> knee. He's got this huge fat gut hanging over the waist of his – and this is a college kid. This guy's, like, 21 or 22. He should be in the best shape of his life. All right, I'm looking at pictures of him. If I looked like Timmy Jernigan, I would be. I'd be relatively happy. Yeah. Uh, he's in terms of physical fitness, he's blowing me away right now. Yeah. Well, if you're gonna find a picture of him, there's got to be pictures of him on the sidelines because they kept showing it constantly. You know, and it was just like, you know, the guy's gonna be an MB, an NFL, you know, a big draft pick. Yeah. Uh. He he. Pro- I don't know what year he is. What year is he? Uh, he is. I don't know. He's definitely going to the NFL. Yeah. Um. I'm gonna guess a junior. Okay. Because he declared, so he's clearly not a senior. Um. I don't imagine a guy like that gets redshirted and then comes out. You know, after a sophomore year, but maybe who knows? But you gotta, <laughs> you, you gotta be able to play in the yeah, game. Like it was doing the most important part of the game when Auburn ended up scoring a go-ahead touchdown, or maybe it might have been when they scored a field goal instead. You know, 
whatever the case was. It was in the fourth quarter when the game mattered. You know, it was very much like, I don't think Gilbert Brown used to sit out that many plays. You remember Gilbert Brown? Yeah. fat guy for the Packers that couldn't stay in the game because yep. he was just, he would always be voted worst body in the NFL by like those men's health magazines and right. stuff like that. <laughs> but um, it was pretty insane. Uh, how, how was the game otherwise? Well, I mean, it was, the first half was, uh, you know, it didn't look good for Florida State. They couldn't do anything. Uh, Auburn, this is always my problem with the, with the, uh, with the BCS, too. It's like this five weeks or whatever, four or five weeks these teams get off. You know, you get a whole spring practice. Right. And, you know, it basically played in Auburn's hands, the fact that they have a, an offensive geniuses coach. They they started running a completely different offense because you have a you have a whole spring's practices worth of time to install a new offense and it just it was throwing Florida State off. You know, they didn't they didn't know how to attack it. They were thinking they were gonna be running a lot more, so they kept getting caught sleeping, you know, and guys were getting wide open. Um and then, you know, the offense wasn't able to do much. Uh, today there was a story where I was reading on CBSSports.com where they think Auburn might have been stealing their um, stealing their signals because Damian Craig, the quarterback who was a quarterback at Auburn and a an assistant at Auburn now was an assistant at Auburn at Florida State last year. So who knows? I think it just you know I just think Auburn had a lot of time to prepare for them and the fact that they're the Underdog, they're more likely to change their game plan, and it took Florida State, you know, a whole half and a little bit more to get into the game. And most teams don't have the talent that Florida State has to overcome that, right? You know? But um, but it was a pretty good game, and it was it was nice to see that the ACC won because that thereby validates Syracuse as being awesome. Well, right. So so essentially, we are national champions. Yeah, yeah, just like how Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Kentucky and Vanderbilt have been dominating for the last decade during the uh, SEC's reign. Now, what it, in that and that drives me crazy about the SEC. You know, the kind of we are SEC dominant, and obviously somebody like like Ole Miss or you know Mississippi State is just so far removed from. You know, plausible deniability that you can't even take them seriously. Yeah, and that's what bothers me. It's not about LSU people being happy, or Florida people being happy, or the Alabama people, or even the Auburn people. You know, what? it's the people from these schools like Ole Miss, which hasn't been relevant since integration. You know, right? Like they had a really great, they had a really great team and won a lot of stuff when. When, you know, only white people were allowed to play. <laughs> but once they had to start recruiting black guys, oh, they don't really want to come to our school. Shocking. So yeah. down in SEC country, like what is, you know, what's the tenor of a, of a school like LSU or, or Alabama when Auburn's playing? Uh, and, we'll, and, you know, Auburn won a lot. A lot of people are conflicted. I, I know a lot of people are rooting for SEC the other night, but I know a lot of people that just hate Auburn. And I have one buddy who's a huge LSU fan, and he really gets mad at the SEC chance, you know, because he doesn't understand. And I've had this conversation with him. I'm like, I'm I was never rooting for UConn to win those titles, right? They could you know, piss I in their hat. Take, I used to love the fact 
like before UConn finally went to a Final Four and then won that title in the same year, I used to love the fact that for all their dominance, they couldn't even make it to the Final Four. I love that. Right. Right. In 2004, I I was nearly moved to um, to a, a physical reaction when they won in yeah. 2004. That's how much I hate Connecticut. Yeah, I couldn't. I- I could never imagine just waving the conference flag for the sake of the conference flag. You spend your entire life hating a team in your conference. Okay, maybe that's ridiculous to yeah. to to you know to drum up so much hatred to a to a school that you know you play two or three times a year in various sports that you know that matter. But but it's the reality. So you know how do you just push that aside for the sake of saying, well, if they win, it reflects very well on us. My brother marries a really hot chick. People aren't high-fiving me. Hot chicks. <laughs> Just by default, without even knowing, without even knowing your wife, everybody knows you're married to a hot chick. <laughs> that's how that works. That's how that, that's exactly how that works. That's it really funny. blows me out. Like last year, Last year in the NFL playoffs, when the Saints weren't playing and the Falcons were in there, I had no desire to see the Falcons win because, oh, oh, that'll prove how tough the NFC South is and how much better it is. Right. Proves it to who? Yeah. Proves it to who and who cares? You know? And um, But, you know, I have a theory about that. It's the, um, it's, it's the Southern inferiority complex. Okay. That's okay. what it really has to do with. I mean, like you look at history, you know, even before the Civil War, the South was always kind of like looked down upon. I mean, it was rural. And then after Civil War, you deal with the Reconstruction. And then even now, it doesn't even matter whether you're black or white. People look down upon the South as being dumb. You know, like, so like this one thing that had gone for them was that, oh, they got a conference where all the football teams made up of primarily southern schools who are kicking everybody's ass. So they all want to get behind that, you know? Like, I'll tell you a story about the southern inferiority complex. (laughs) I can't wait. In the 80s, LSU played a home-and-away football series against Ohio State. I think Earl Bruce was Ohio State's coach at the time, and it might have been when Bill Arnsparger, who was a – he was like the defensive coordinator for the famous no-name defense of the Miami Dolphins. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah was head coach of LSU. I don't know if he was still the coach at the time because he retired to go become athletic director of Florida and this guy Mike Archer took over. Whatever the case, it was around that time they played these two games. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up the series results one year. I'm not sure what game it was. One year they played to a tie, and I think Ohio State won the other year. But whatever the case was, I don't know if it was in the game that they ended up tying LSU or the game that they beat LSU. Whatever it was, LSU did something stupid at the end. You know, they did something that, you know, I don't know exactly what it was, but I know my dad thought it was extremely stupid and it compromised their uh, chance to win the game. Oh, okay. The point is, I just remember this line from my dad. He's like, see that? That's why people from the north think people from the south are stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what the southern inferiority complex is all about. You know? Brilliant. (laughs) People down here, they have this chip on their shoulder, you know? They think everybody, 
you know, anybody north of the Mason-Dixon line, you know, they think, you know, John Stewart and all these television people just mock them. And and they do. But uh, <laughs> but I think that's what really causes them to, like, you know, circle the wagons around the SEC stuff. Yeah. I can but see that. But it does that. really kill me because, like, you know, you got schools like Mississippi State and those people yelling SEC. They've won one SEC football title. It was in 1941. <laughs> I mean, Tulane hasn't played in the SEC in 50 years, and they still have more SEC titles than Mississippi State does. <laughs> you know, and Tulane wasn't a great football team for the last 20 years that they were in the, the conference. Right. And I think it was only like a 40-year-old conference at that point. That tells you about how irrelevant Mississippi State football is. <laughs> I think they have more than Kentucky, you know? Um, so it's just funny when these schools have never done anything anything to warrant the respect are all hopping on that bandwagon because they think it proves something about themselves yeah there's a huge divide between the haves and the have-nots and the have-nots really really force their way to the table in the conversations way more than they should be yep and and well here's a little side note i went to the sugar bowl last thursday okay which was Oklahoma versus Alabama. You know, Alabama, they were talking before the game about how, you know, oh, we knew we shouldn't have lost to Auburn, and this was going to be their chance to prove that we are number one and maybe we'll get some votes, you know. I guess they were thinking if they go ahead and beat the hell out of Oklahoma and Auburn, you know, wins the won the BCS game, you know, the fact that they both have one loss and people would realize, oh, Alabama really should have been number one. It's a fluke they lost to Auburn. You know, and they would get a few, a few votes like in the AP poll or something. Nothing to, to to mean anything, but just to show, hey, there we are. We are, we are, we should have been number one. We just screwed up a little bit. Uh, but apparently, Bob Stoops had said some stuff about the SEC, about the myth of the SEC dominance, and how it's all media created during the summer. I believe it was he said stuff. So, you know, went to the game. I showed. I didn't get there to like the second quarter because I was watching TV and my sister got in touch with me and a friend of hers had posted on Facebook they had two tickets. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go down there. But um, I don't know if you watched that game. You probably didn't. I did not. Oh. Well, it ended up being a big upset. Oklahoma won. You know, so I took some delight in – I was sitting there a bunch of Alabama fans, but I was – which was funny because we were like the only people that were aggressively cheering every time Oklahoma did stuff. You know, they had a guy seated about three seats down from me that was dressed as an elephant. Was the game sold out? Um, or it was, was the building full? It was primarily full. There might have been 6,000, six to 10,000, not even that much probably. You know, maybe 5,000 empty seats because Alabama brings all those people. They brought more than – their whole side was completely full. Oklahoma was just missing little pockets. It was a – it was – as far as these BCS crowds go, it was really good. Cool. I went to the the Sugar Bowl last year when it was Florida versus Louisville. And Louisville probably bought 30-something thousand people. But Florida, you know, that, that was probably at least 20,000 empty seats that night. All right. You know? Like Florida, apparently Florida is so their fans will do anything less than a national championship. <laughs> you know, they're, they're like, they're not even going to bother to drive the 10 hours from Gainesville to get here to come watch their 
eleven and one team playing a game that doesn't mean shit. Apparently, Tim Tebow needs to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, and our team needs to go to a national championship. Yeah, anything less is unacceptable. Yep. So, um, so late in the game, when when it was clear that Oakland was going to win, after they uh, after they sacked um, McCarney, fumbled the ball, and the guy for Oakland went and picked it up and ran an end zone with with less than two minutes left. Uh, you know, it was clear Oklahoma was going to win. Then you start hearing the chants from the whole Oklahoma side, SEC, SEC. <laughs> so I was definitely eating that up as they were mocking them, you know. And and then, of course, Stoops the next day went on. He went on one of those radio shows, and he was talking about the thing again. He's like, he's like, I'm talking about this myth they have. He's like, you know, the bottom half of the SEC last year was like zero and whatever against the top half. You know, it's just... It's just preposterous. I don't mind the LSU people, like I said. It's the ones, you know, it, it's the equivalent of us as Syracuse people if we were bragging about Florida State's uh, domination as reflecting on us, considering we lost 56 to 3 to them. And would we lose 56 to nothing to Georgia Tech, who sucks? Right. You know, we have nothing to brag about for that. You know, it doesn't reflect on us. Just like it's not going to reflect. If, and if we win the basketball national championship, it's not going to reflect on um, Virginia Tech that they're any good. Yeah. <laughs> because Virginia Tech, as we saw this week, clearly is not very yes, good. Yes, they're terrible. Um, but uh, speaking of basketball, a tough week to be a, uh, a Syracuse fan adapting to the ACC television schedule because yes. I didn't catch either of those games. Well, I had the, you know, my only access was from the computer, which is why Saturday I was like, I'm going to be stressed out. I can't stand to watch it on the computer for one. And I was like, I'm going to be stressing myself out. I'm like, I'm going to a movie. I was like, that way the movie, by the time the movie's done, the game will be done. And whether we win or lost, at least I won't have had a heart attack. Well, <laughs> um, well, moral victories, I guess, is is what we're looking for in that situation. But I, um, I had a family function um, at my parents. It was, you know, a little Christmas. Um, you know, a couple days after the New Year, we get together with um, with my mom's extended family, her brothers and their kids and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so it was that particular Saturday. I was home kind of putzing around and kind of timed myself. Um, The uh, Colts game was on in the afternoon. I think 4.30 was the start. Yeah. The basketball game was going to end around 4. Excuse me. So I tried to get there so I'd at least see the majority of the second half. I ended up running late, um, you know, tried to, to watch it on my phone. No dice. Figured let me just listen to it on um, Syracuse ESPN Radio, who usually carries the Syracuse games. But they weren't because ESPN owns all those bullshit bowl games. Yes. And the Bell Helicopter Bowl was on every single ESPN network. The Bell Helicopter Bowl. (laughs) It was unbelievable. So I rush, because I know uh, for Christmas my dad got uh, Roku. Oh yeah. So he can watch the Watch ESPN app on his television. And I was yeah. there when he took 3 hours to set the thing up, so I knew it was working. So I get there 
and uh, I run, you know, into the house and into the back, um, you know, the back den area, grab the remote, and my brother's like, don't even try. It's blacked out. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, it's blacked out on network. It's blacked out on W uh, on, on ESPN, uh, on the watch ESPN app. You can't get it anywhere. So what? there wasn't anywhere up here that I could even watch the game. Yeah. Even, even online. Um, which was lucky enough because it was just as heartbreaking um, or nerve-wracking as you anticipated it being. Um, it just, you know, I've watched some of the highlights. Um, I, I, I can probably, we can probably get it on the Watch ESPN app replay now, but it's not a game yeah. worth watching. It was, you know, we were, we scored, you know, 21 points below our below our average. Yeah, when um, I saw when I was reading the recap and gone over the Twitter stuff that was happening during the game and I saw that we were down like 35 to 29 or something like that or 35 to something like that at one point in the second half and I saw what the final score was I was like uh I I'm glad I didn't see this one cuz I would have been freaking out cuz we obviously were not hitting anything. No, we played sloppy. You know, there was no consistent flow on either side. I mean, there were there were times um, that you know, two, three, four minutes would go by w- without either team scoring. Miss jumper, offensive rebound. Miss jumper, offensive rebound. Turnover. Miss three pointer, offensive rebound. Turnover. Three point jumper. I mean, that's just you know, going back to the first half, the. Uh, the eight-minute mark until the five-minute mark, you just had a you know a, a series of of um, turnovers and and missed jump shots, and it just really wasn't. It was a really sloppy game, both offensively and defensively. Um, you know, decent enough outputs by you know the guys you would expect uh, yeah. to have you know a decent game. Um, Big story, no Coleman uh, in yeah, this game. He, what was uh, the story? What, what was was it a knee? What was his hamstring? Injury? Yeah, something like that. He was back. He played at the end of the game the other night, though, because I did watch he, the he, last few minutes. He so did get he, back. Like, um, he sat out the the Eastern Michigan game. Um, maybe it's a hip. Let me see what it was. Um, Grant ended up. Um, Stepping in to the starting lineup, um, they went small and um, and just rode the rotation. You know, minus oh, Coleman. It's his, it's his knee. Okay. Um, obviously, he's back. Do they? Is it say long term prognosis? Um, this is this is a story from the Syracuse papers about him playing the other night. Uh, he had a bone bruise. It said. Coleman spent most of the orange practices since the December 28th game pedaling a stationary bike. Uh, let me see. I don't think they've given any uh, statement on how long he's going to be playing, but uh, but he did play the other night. So um, so I imagine, I don't know if he'll be starting again or if they're going to be easing him in, you know? Right. But, you know, Trevor Cooney uh, was ice cold, 2 for 12 from the field. Yeah, um, hit his free throws. Ended up with eleven points. Um, you know, Ennis was Ennis four for seven. 
Um, seven assists. He had ten points. Uh, Grant was particularly cold. Uh, only shot two for seven. Um, did have five rebounds. But he, he played 38 minutes. Um, you know, in, in lieu of, of Coleman. Um, you know, really, yeah. those five guys, the five starters, you know, pretty much played the whole game. Um, you know, Binjay only had a uh, a cup of coffee, and then um, you know, Kata spelled Christmas. But that that's what happens when you only have eight guys. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm glad I didn't the Virginia Tech game the other day. I mean, I guess I could have watched, you know, on the computer, but I ended up watching it on my phone with a few minutes left. But because uh, that was making me nervous, especially ahead of the North Carolina game. You know, like that's like one of those trap type of games. You're playing in Virginia Tech. No one's at the game. I think there was like three thousand something people there at the arena because it's it was still Christmas break. Yeah. You know, you're playing in the middle of nowhere. You know, before you got a big game coming up, it's like I don't know. And after, I was like, I can't watch this. And and it ended up, it was they were keeping it closer than it should have been for a while because I kept following it. You know, just on like the ESPN, you know, the um, the online thing, you know, not the video service. Right, right. You yeah, know, it had all the makings of a trap game. Yeah, and then and then they decided to 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 start playing, and they ended up blowing them out. You know, and they they finally buckled down the last ten minutes of the game, and you know, Virginia Tech proved to be Virginia Tech. But, of course, they're playing UNC this weekend, and UNC lost to Miami the other day. You know, so I don't know what to make of UNC. They've beaten some really good teams, and they've lost to some mediocre competition. Yeah, 10-5 uh, and five on the year. Uh, they're 1-1 one one in the ACC. Oh, hold on a second. Um, you know, they, they beat Louisville. They beat Michigan State. They beat Kentucky, too, I think, right? They beat uh, Kentucky. They lost to, like, Belmont. They lose to Texas. They lose to Wake. They lose to Miami. They lost to Belmont. They've lost to just some... Belmont's a good little mid-major, but they're never supposed to lose that game. No. Yeah. Yeah, it's not... Like when we lose to Cleveland State. They're good mid-major, but we're not supposed to lose it. Right. Um. So the game's on Saturday, and this is what's really stressful right now. My issues. So a couple of weeks ago, I was supposed to get a haircut, but it was really terrible weather. I was just coming down. Uh, I was just getting over like a cold. You know, I was supposed to go in there Saturday morning. The guy was supposed to cut my hair, and he he texted me. He's like, uh, "Are you sure?" He's like, "Are you are you gonna come in today?" I don't think he wanted to be there. I was like. I was like, I looked out, you know, it had rained a bunch. It was still raining. It was like 50-something degrees. I was supposed to be there like in 40 minutes. I'm like, yeah, I'm not coming in today. And uh, I'm like, I'm getting over a cold. I'll schedule another time. You know, and this is the week between Christmas and New Year's. And then, um, and then I was like, all right, I'll schedule something once New Year's is over. And then, of course, I see on his Facebook, he's in New York now. He's on vacation with his boyfriend. <laughs> I'm like, I'm never going to get my hair cut, you know? <laughs> and then today, uh, he texted me a little 
earlier, and he's like, uh, you know, Saints game is at 325 or 335 or whatever the hell it is here. Okay. Uh, and the Syracuse game is 11 here. He texted me today. He's like, uh, he's like, oh, uh, haircut? And I was like, yeah, I can come today. You know? I was like, I'll leave here at 5 because his place is only like three block, four or five blocks away from my office. I'm like, I'll come today. He's like, oh, can't do today. He's like, what about Saturday? He's like, 115. You'll be out of here by 2. Saints game is at 330. I'm like, I was like, oh, that doesn't work. And I'm like, you know, I, I didn't feel like I could really tell him why it didn't work. Right. You know, because he has no concept of me wanting to watch a college basketball game. He knows the Saints. You know, everybody's a Saints fan, even the gay dudes. Right. But, uh, it's, <laughs> oh, my college is playing a basketball game. So he just texted me a little while ago. He's like, oh, well, uh, is it too early, too late? I'm like, I can come in at 1.30. <laughs> you know, because I figured the Q's game will be over. The the 15 minutes it takes to get to his place from here, I can get there. And and whenever I go there, if I go there exactly at 1.30, he'll never be ready for me right away. Right. But you you, know, you so realize. It should allow me enough time. But I, I do hate that I'm, that I'm tempting fate like that. You it's, realize the game's going to go into overtime. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. It's being, I'm going to record it regardless. You know. Or as stupid people say, irregardless. <laughs> oh, man, this is going to be a treat. I got ESPN on the background. They are showing the UCLA-Arizona game. They have just they, they just came on air. And Bill Walton is calling a UCLA game from Pauley Pavilion. Beautiful. Uh, uh, There's- I, I mean, the humor enough might be... You know, worth watching this. So in mid the mid nineties, um, so ninety four, um, ninety three, ninety four, we were sophomores. We lived in Booth. We had a five person suite. It was me, Reardo, Laughlin, Peters, and then a buddy of ours named uh, Matt Shortell. Uh, he was an art student. He ended up leaving. Yeah. Um, you know, after like junior year or something, to go out to California, but. This was before, you know, this was before really the internet. This was before really any any uh, exchange or, or um, you know, widespread use of, you know, torrent-type activity. Yeah, of course. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't just call something up on YouTube and, and check out a highlight. Like, it just wasn't available. But Reardon had these... Um, this collection of bootleg VHS tapes that he bought of Celtics highlights. <laughs> and, you know, they were all classic games. They were the um, the Dominique Wilkins, Larry Bird um, showdown. They w- It was the game where Larry Bird hit his head off the... Um, Hit his head off the parquet floor. Has yeah. to go back to the locker room. Comes back out for the second half. Lights it up. Um, the, the Dennis Johnson steal. Like anything you can imagine in in recent Celtics lore, meaning you know eighties, the big three time. Uh, he had on VHS, but he also had the Larry Bird night that he either recorded or he ended up buying, and it's. You know, all the great Celtic teammates of Larry Bird and, and even Celtics of, of days gone by 
um, honoring Larry Bird at Larry Bird Night. And as you can imagine, it was a huge event. Um, th- there might not even have been a game associated with it. It might have been a freestanding event that they sold tickets to. And, yeah. you know, he's sitting out, um, you know, kind of talk show style in in you know, in the middle of the court, center court, and, you know, there's a host, uh, probably Ahmad Rashad or, you know, Boston, uh, you know, beat writer or or one of their announcers uh, is emceeing the whole thing. And they, at one point, they bring out Bill Walton. Now, Walton didn't play that long with, um, with Larry Bird, with the Celtics. It was yeah. the end of his career. Uh, you know, he was he did a pe- win the sixth man of the year with him, though. He, he did, right. You, you, you're absolutely right that he he was a contributor. But at that point, it wasn't the Bill Walton that people knew. His knees were gone. The with the 27 foot surgeries. Or exactly. Yeah. But um, he was still identified as, you know, as a Celtic, especially during those championship runs. Plus, it helped that he had red hair. <laughs> Seriously, right? So they Can anybody look more Irish on the Boston Celtics? No, too bad he still didn't have that big the uh, the big Amish chin strap beard. Yeah, from the seventies. Yep. Uh, So they bring him out, and he delivers this monologue. Um, that is just it's gibberish. Yeah, but he's laughing at himself. Delivering this monologue, but nobody can understand what he's saying, and he's not even making any sense in terms of the characters that he is describing in these stories. And we used to come home, you know, after the bars at that point, you know, sophomore year, you're not staying for after hours or, you know, or you know, heading anywhere else. So you're coming home and you still got a pretty decent buzz on and you crack open a few more beers and without fail for unintentional comedy, we would throw on the, uh, Larry bird, um, Larry bird night where Bill Walton just goes off (laughs) and it, it made us laugh every single time using all his 50 cent words. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. He so, loves he loves that flowery language. I'd always get a kick when he would do um, when he would do the Arizona games where Luke Walton played in it. Yeah, and he'd always simply refer to him as Luke Walton, <laughs> not as Walton, not as Luke, not as you know my son, not as you know number seven or whatever he was. It was always Luke Walton, trying like trying so hard to be objective that he's not exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Um, what else uh, what no. else we got on the Vatech game? Any Oh, I know. Uh, Here's what, what we got, got on the Vatech game. Um, what? I'm sorry. Uh, on the North Carolina game. Uh I mean, it's going to be a big game. That's all I know. I already saw the commercial on ESPN for it, the big promo. So I imagine Dickie V might be there. You know, even though North Carolina's not supposed to be so good, but it's like, you know, we, we've played two ACC games, but they're against teams that were in the Big East with us. It's the marquee uh, it's the coming out party. of our ACC schedule. Yeah. You, you know, know, you're playing one of these Tiffany schools, you know? Exactly. You're playing this standard of AC, one of the two standards of ACC basketball. You know, you're playing UNC. That's what it's all about. 
You know, so like even if UNC was being coached by Matt Doherty when they were terrible, that would still be a big game. Yeah, you always have to be worried about them. Just like UConn, even when they weren't that good, we still had to worry about them. You know, UNC might not be the best team, you know, but who knows? Some weeks they're the best team. You know, they they seem to rise to the occasion against the good teams. We should match up fairly well with them. Um, They don't shoot particularly well um, from beyond the arc. Um, Yeah, we have... um I was reading something about those statistics. Uh, I think we, you know, I think uh, Trevor Cooney might have more threes by himself than their whole team does. Yeah. Um, I think he, Trevor Cooney has like 46 threes or something. They've got, uh, they're 53 from 168 um, from, from the three-point line. Um, you know, 31%. Yeah. Not nothing, you know, to, to write home about. Um, you know, they don't go particularly deep. Um, and they had that player that got banished, who they were dependent on getting back this year. Who was uh, who was that guy? He was really good, and they were trying to get him. He was suspended, and they're like, "Oh, once he gets back," and then they just washed their hands of him finally. Oh, um, yeah, he ended up transferring. Yeah, yep, because they were like, they're like, "No, nah, you just he was he uh, P.J. Hairston. Yep, yep, Hairston. Yep, that's it." Um, I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully it'll be like that game against UNC a few years ago when we ended up blowing them out by like 20. You remember that? I think it was the Wesley Johnson year. Yep. Yep. Uh, where they came up to the dome and it was one of those little, uh, actually it was in the garden, I believe. It was like in coaches versus cancer thing, I think. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I was at that game. That was a great game. That was Wesley Johnson. That was Johnson. a hell of a better UNC team than this one. Yes. Yeah, that that was that bordered on mild upset in terms of, of how good UNC was. Um, yep. They were certainly ranked then, um, and, and I think ranked highly. Um, so that was definitely a nice win. This is, And, of course, nobody knew how good Wesley Johnson was at the time. He was an unknown, unknown quantity. You know, transferred to us from Oklahoma State. Knew he was decent and athletic, but he ended up being a hell of a lot better of a college basketball player. Probably should have stayed the full two years looking at his. Co- well, I guess he's doing okay with the Lakers now. But. He ended up being a lottery pick, right? Yeah, I mean, he was. It was sort of like one of those things like everybody knew he was being picked too high, but I think it was kind of a weak draft. You know? I read an article uh, recently that listed him as one of the top five um, most overrated orange men. And Man, that's I, a hard list to get I, into. I, I couldn't disagree more. I mean, he was only here for a year, and, and basically um, it was, you know, saying about how highly touted he was. You know, he came, he redshirted, you know, he ended up. Um, you know, having high expectations and, and just never delivered. But who put out that list? I uh, mean, as far as being with Syracuse, he was he was he 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 played better than he was expected to be, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, as far as the NBA goes, of course. But you know, most Syracuse players flop in the NBA. <laughs> uh, Mike Mueller um, from let me see. 
Tell me where he is. I'll go kick his ass. He's he, he's on Bleacher Report, but he's got it. He's got to be from somewhere else because he's a he's a contributor. Um, number nine was Donovan McNabb, which right away kind of shoots his credibility to shit because if you were tabbing Donovan McNabb as a potential contributor to the series, Sarah- last name M U E L L E R M U E L L E R. All right, let me look if I can find him up. Let's see where this bastard is from. Uh, he is a graduate of Syracuse University in 2004. Oh, he's just a self-loathing orangeman. Uh, what else does he do? Oh, his favorite athlete is Isaiah Thomas. Oh, he he's complete, he completely has no credibility. He's probably a big Knicks fan or something. Uh, it says Maradona is better than Pele. Wait, he's from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yeah, but he graduated from Cuse in 04. No, I know. I'm saying, how can somebody from Scranton be such a hater? Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. The most memorable game he attended. He ran cross-country and track for the Cuse before getting sidelined with an injury and got my first job in TV in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Hmm. He has... he spells Virginia wrong on his Bleacher Report about page. He has it spelt Virginia. <laughs> I don't know if that's intentional for the joke or just an oversight. <laughs> and then his contribution is even uh, is even shakier. Um, while he does have some some legitimate um, legitimate calls on here, uh, he's got West Johnson at number six. Which I think is totally unfair. I gotta um, find this article. What what is he saying about him? These are. Um, is he saying that as a Cuse, as a Syracuse player, he's overrated, or as a post Syracuse player? No, 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 no. As a uh, the nine most disappointing overrated players since nineteen ninety. Okay, you I'm trying to fi- find the article. Here, I'll let me. Well, I'm on his Bleacher Report, looking at his full archive. Yeah. Um, he loves Jim Beheim. That's his favorite coach. So, oh, here we go. You got it. Syracuse basketball, the nine most. Oh, oh I got you if you're going to talk about Don McNabb as a basketball player, but I don't think anybody was. Let's be honest. Don McNabb was on the Syracuse basketball team because we knew that so we would get him on our football team. Right, exactly. And we stayed on the team for one year tops, right? Maybe two. He was on two, but he redshirted his freshman year. Okay. But after, I think after the Final Four run, I think they told him, uh, I don't know if it was the third year where they told him, after the third year or after the second year, whatever, at one point they told him, if you want to be serious about football, you got to quit playing basketball. Right. You know? I mean, Fab Mello, okay, I'm not going to disagree with that because Fab Mello just never came through. Preston Shumpert, come on, you're kind of picking on the guy. Right. Preston Shumper wasn't a, wasn't a big recruit that ended up being a decent player. You know? I don't really think that's fair. I, I have good I have good memories of Preston Shumper. I thought Terrence that- Roberts, I won't argue with you there. Terrence Roberts was a lot of hype with very you know, those teams were, were awful. You know? Yep. Terrence Roberts, Daryl Watkins, Orangeman. Yep. Not a big fan of I, I'm not gonna Hit him too hard on that. Wes Johnson, I think, is kind of ridiculous. I he think- came one year, and we had a really good season. And, yeah, if not for Arenzi and Owaku, we might have made it to the Final Four. Yep. 
if not for his entry, not Renzi Anawaku being our problem. You know, we had a great team that year. Yep. You know, um, let's see. What else? What else? What else? He's got Dante Green. Dante, okay, not going to fight with him too much there. Dante Green was a chump. That's a top, here's the top five. So so Dante Green, number five. Uh, Billy Edlin, number four. Billy Edlin wasn't overrated. Billy Eden's problem is, I would, you know, that's the problem. Just because he didn't fulfill his talent wasn't because he was overrated. It was because he kept fucking up. Right, he couldn't you stay on the I'm court. Saying? Yes, that has nothing to do. When he was on the court, he was damn good. You remember the year we won the title? Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't have won that title without Billy Edelman. Yeah, no doubt. You know? No doubt. I mean, he, he, the guy was good. He knew how to get in the lane. He knew how to, he was a, he was a good guard. I have no, you know, Billy Eden's not over, overrated. Billy Eden was an, Edelman was a knucklehead. That's Billy Edelman's problem. Uh, speaking uh, of knucklehead. Williams. Yep. Yeah, um, I don't know. That guy kind of liked his game way more than everybody else did. He was kind of a knucklehead. Oh, well, here he goes. Williams was involved in a number of bar fights, barely did his schoolwork, and was caught in a riff with teammate Preston Schumpf and his girlfriend. Well, I don't know how much you can knock on him for barely doing his schoolwork. Uh, I I tend to think most college athletes aren't really strong at doing their schoolwork. <laughs> they had... No less than thirty-four guys on the Florida State football team had this de- had the same degree. Interdisciplinary social science. Now, what's that even mean? I'm sure it's just fancy sociology. Okay. You know, but not that that makes them unique. Because I'm sure if you would have run through the Auburn, uh, you know, the majors in Auburn or. The majors on any Division One college football team, save for a couple of teams, you would probably see uh, a similar uh, a similar major that ran throughout, you know, and then you would know that's probably the biggest bullshit major on campus. Uh, and I can't hate on sociology majors because Jody Skolnick uh, was a sociology major. Yeah, well, of course she was. She was just a screw off jock. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, that's the only people in those classes, right? Well, she was a sweater, man. I'll tell you that. Walking around in her, um, her, walking around her team issued uh, sweatsuits and shit class. <laughs> Remember that? That's how you always tell the athletes they were always in uh, team issued gear, right? <laughs> They're always in like the football players were always in those gray sweatpants, you know. With their numbers on them and shit. <laughs> uh, Paul Harris. Uh, I'll have to agree with Paul Harris. Paul Harris was a big disappointment because he was equal parts knucklehead yes. and didn't live up to his talent. The problem was he was a tweener. Yep. You know, 6'5", he just had a weird body. You know, like he wasn't, he wasn't any one thing. You know... Guy with his ability is great in, in high school because there's not too many people bigger than that anyway. But he just 
don't know. They should have uh, put him on the football team. Probably would have been a great tight end. He would have. I was just gonna say he would have either been an above average college football tight end or an all American volleyball player. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know where could he have gone for that. Maybe Penn State or something. Do they still have a men's volleyball team there? At West, maybe. Yeah, I know Penn State used to have a men's team, but I think there's only like 30-something teams playing volleyball now. Men's volleyball. Um, hmm. And Jason Hart? I don't know if it's without question that he's the most overrated Syracuse basketball player. Well, in his opinion, okay. Without question. All right. I can't sit there and fight his opinion. But questionable opinion it, it is. Yes. Yes. Jason Hart. He was involved with one of the with a little kerfuffle earlier this year because I think he's on the USC coaching staff now. Okay. I think it's Jason Hart. And Tony Bland, I think, is on the staff too. You remember Tony Bland, who I think transferred from Syracuse to San Diego State like in his last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. They had a fight between, I guess, Tim Floyd, UTEP, and USC were in the same tournament somewhere, maybe down the Caribbean or Cancun or something. Um, and Tim Floyd, you know, used to be the coach at USC. Yeah. I think he was peed off at at Enfield, the guy that was the coach of Florida Gulf Coast last year when they made that run. Yes. Now the USC coach apparently has some hard feelings because they think that they came and um, – Stole a recruit from him, who had who had signed to play at UTEP, and then backed out, and now is at USC. And I think Jason Hart might have been. They got in a fight, Tim Floyd and the guy Enfield. County, it's going to be. What are you watching, <laughs> Osage County? Sorry about that. I was trying to uh, I was trying to look up that story that you're talking about. But yeah, here it is on ESPN. Members of two Division One coaching staffs reportedly clashed during a reception for the Battle for Atlantis tournament at Paradise Island in the Bahamas on Wednesday. According to multiple tweets by Sports Illustrated and CBS reporter Seth Davis, who was in the Bahamas, Southern California's Andy Enfield. UTEP's Tim Floyd and staffers for both teams were involved in an altercation during the event. Ugly incident at reception for Battle for Atlantis. Andy Enfield and Tim Floyd got in a heated argument. USC and UTEP assistants had to be separated, Davis tweeted. He also said USC assistants Tony Bland and Jason Hart and UTEP assistant Bob Cantu were involved. Uh, I don't need to go any further. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, that's, that's funny. Um, well, what else we got? We're coming up on, um, we're getting short on time right now. Yeah, we are getting short on time. A couple of the things I wanted to cover, though. Um, one on a really, really kind of personal and self-serving note. Um, in the end of February, I'm going to be participating in the uh, New Jersey Special Olympics uh, Polar Bear Plunge. In, in old uh, Seaside, New I saw Jersey. Your little thing uh, looking to um, you're doing this for charity, correct? Yeah. So um, every year, the New Jersey State uh, Policeman's Benevolent Association uh, has a fundraiser uh, in Seaside, home of Jersey Shore, Snooky, the whole deal, the the um, uh, roller coaster in the water, yeah. the boardwalk that got set on fire. <laughs> like that's you know, it's the Jersey Shore. 
and in the end of February, they do this humongous polar bear punch. I mean, I think they raise, you know, uh, if not tens, hundred thousand dollars in in terms of donations. And you've never done it before, right? I, I'd never done it. I wasn't a big seaside guy. Um, I grew up in Jackson. Um, my family had a beach that they went to up in a couple towns north of where I live now, um, Long Branch, New Jersey. Uh, my grandfather was a caretaker for a beach club, so we'd go to the beach, uh, you know, there. And then as we got older, we had a pool, so we didn't hit the beach all that much. Um, but Seaside had a boardwalk, um, you know, the, they had a beach, um, you know, amusement rides, the whole deal. And that's where Ange grew up. So yeah. when I moved back to the States and and started dating Ange or, you know, kind of courting Ange, um, one of the first functions that I went to uh, was this polar bear plunge where she was meeting up with some teacher friends. She was a first-year teacher. you know. If you don't know Ange, you can tell she's from that part of New Jersey by her barbed wire tattoo and her selection of affliction T-shirts she likes to wear. <laughs> and her stamp tramp. Yes. That's yes, his daddy, that says daddy's girl. <laughs> oh, I do like the idea of the stamp tramp. <laughs> I'm glad she doesn't download these. <laughs> um, what she's missing out on. So uh, it was one of the first functions I accompanied her. I I accompanied her to as kind of her her man friend, uh, and it was one of the first functions that she a went. Gentleman caller. A gentleman caller, exactly. <laughs> uh, and it was one of the first functions that she went to with you know some of these new teacher friends. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, we were there like 8 o'clock in the morning. All the bars were open. Uh, you know, all the bars are right on the boardwalk. Y- yep. You go and you have a bunch of drinks and stuff. And, like, you know, I met some pretty cool people that she works with that she has remained friends with. And, you know, I kind of got to pal around with. Um, but that was it. That was the first, only, and last time I had been to the Polar Bear Plunge. I don't know what happened. You know, I don't know if nobody else had done it. Um, in recent years, so there was no reason to go down and support, etc. But um, this year, I just thought, you know, I could use a change of pace. Uh, I could, I could use to give something back, and um, you know, I just generally need an excuse uh, to strip down and run into the ocean uh, in the middle of February. Um, so I signed up, and I'm. Attempting- I'm going to be a change of scene because usually when you're naked, you're atop bars. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was one of the New Year's resolution slash 40th birthday promises that I had made Matt Soap, who um, who just turned the big 4-0 on uh, January 6th. Yeah. Um, what was Same that? My oldest brother. Monday? Was that, day. was that Monday? Yes, Monday. So he turned 40, uh, and he'd been prepping for it for a while. Uh, so I wanted to honor him and, um, you know, kind of give him a little present slash uh, New Year's resolution. And I, I promised him I would do more crazy shit this year. <laughs> like old school, yes. just tomfoolery, USC, Syracuse at, um, at Meadowlands kind of craziness. Yeah, so, well, you were you were thirty eight when you did that shit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Thirty nine wasn't a very good year for me in yeah. terms of of p- fulfilling my own potential. <laughs> <laughs> all the way back from eighteen months ago. Uh, so, um, 
So I seize the opportunity. And I'm a, I'm attempting to raise a thousand dollars, and if I do raise a thousand dollars, I will plunge in a speedo. Nice. Now, if we call back to the beginning of the show, we just um, we realize the state, the physical state I'm in, um, is is nowhere near bathing suit appropriate, let alone speedo appropriate. Yeah. It's, so, it's totally no, naked appropriate because, according to your workout regimen, you're basically like a walking Adonis. <laughs> I'm, one of the reasons why I'm so high gear uh, with the workouts is to um, limit or at least mitigate the embarrassment um, should I reach my goal, which I have every intention to. And one week in... Um, I had raised forty percent of my goal, four hundred dollars. Now, if I reach fifteen hundred, which would be fifty percent over my goal, I will do it in a speedo and painted orange from nice. my from my head to my toes, uh, or as close to my head. Well, to my I'll toes say as this possible. much: I mean, I definitely will donate some money towards the cause. And if everybody who listens to this podcast donates money, you'll you'll raise literally tens of dollars towards the cost. <laughs> well, this is where the idea comes in. So we have about forty loyal listeners. Every podcast that we um, that we post, with the exception of the second part of the Mark Selden extravaganza, yeah. I- I'm not exactly sure why nobody downloaded that. Maybe they got I confused. I think it was because it was bifurcated. You know, it was during the holidays because somebody I know that listens to it regularly. I was like, oh, did you listen to a new one? And then she's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to. And then I was like, are you listening? She's like, I'm listening to the last one. Apparently, I was too behind. Lots of people just didn't know about it for some reason. Yeah, and I think because it had the same name with part one and part two, people just didn't download it. Um, But either way, we're about 40 strong. Every episode gets at least 40 downloads. And then we're starting to see people like pick up from the beginning. So like that's got 60 downloads. And then episode two's got 50 downloads. But I think those are people just kind of testing us out. Yeah, what concerns me is we had 79 likes on our Facebook page for a long time. Now it's 78. I want to who that one bastard is that left us. <laughs> it was probably Liz Stillman because I didn't go to the game with her. Can't let Liz Stillman down. She's your most loyal follower. I know, I know. Um, but here's my idea. Here's my idea: is that um, you and I take a week to think about it, and we come up with a special podcast, a uh, you know, kind of a one-time only, never before seen, never before heard themed podcast whatever that is i'm not sure okay i've been kicking around some ideas i was thinking about you and i could do a dramatic reading of the um of the movie the express um you know i was thinking something along those lines that isn't typical to excuses fair but would be almost like a collector's item and we can put it up on bandcamp.com for sale yeah and anybody that donates um, or, or purchases the 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 pod, and I'm pretty sure the way um, Bandcamp works is you can you can buy it. For, we can set it for like no minimum cost, and you can donate whatever so you all want. All the money will go towards your your charity. Exactly. Huh, I don't know if I like that. 
Exactly. Because <laughs> you want to cut? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, that's a good idea. So let's talk about that in the, in the coming... Uh, when is the plunge? I think it's like it's in forty-five days, so it's like February twenty-second. So we got right. plenty of time. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll do this right. Soon, okay. We'll do this right. Um. Uh, other than that, uh, we both saw Wolf of Wall Street. Um. This yeah. week, let's hold off on that. Yeah, we can hold off on that. Wolf of Wall Street, aka the Mark Selden story. <laughs> Um, yeah, I got some some thoughts about that. I do want to chat about that with you, but we can hold that off till yeah, till we next can, week. You know, three hour movie is going to require more than two minutes of idle chat. Absolutely. Um, you got anything else, pal? No, that's all. I mean, I might have had other stuff. I guess. Um, what was I thinking? Um, a couple of things I wanted to throw in earlier. Um, well, no, it's not even relevant now. It's totally out of place. Uh, just, um, my, my Syracuse diploma is, is, uh, is credited to with whoever lived in the apartment I lived in my fifth year that left the Syracuse diploma frame in the closet, I guess, but that, that makes no sense in this part of the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And the other part where I wanted to say earlier when we were talking about swimming, I was going to say about how a few years ago. It was like my first or second year of law school, and he's might have been my first year. And these friends are like, "Hey, you want to go swimming with us?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Meet us now at the pool." So I go meet him at the university pool, and they're swimming laps. And I was like, "This isn't swimming. Swimming's like when you're hanging out in the pool with beer." <laughs> <laughs> I had to get out there and actually swim laps. It was it was miserable. Did you show up with beer? No, I was expecting they'd have some. Oh, right. They invited you, right? They should have the beer. <laughs> I was like, swimming to me isn't swimming. Even without beer, swimming to me is just hanging out in a pool. Right. You know, it's like jumping off of a diving board every now and then, doing cannonballs. That's swimming. Anything that takes place in the Peters pool in yes. Sandwich, Massachusetts is swimming. What we do in the Peters pool at Hollyhock is swimming, Yes. If it doesn't occur in the Peters pool, it does not qualify as swimming. (laughs) Swimming. I was like, wait, you people actually are talking about the exercise swimming. (laughs) (laughs) I did not sign up for this. Well, on that note, man, uh, with apologies to Girk's brother, we'll see you guys next week. Uh, Take it easy. Uh, Oh, Girk, he's a huge UConn fan. Is he really? Oh, yeah. I just remember we were living together the year they won that title, and it used to kill me. I'm like, all right, how the hell can you be a big fan of our, of one of our huge rivals? I mean, UConn's, you know, it's his state school, but still. Yeah, still, though, I, I, I yeah. wouldn't even consider myself a passive, um, adm- you know, um, follower of, of Rutgers athletics because yeah. I have Syracuse. Yeah, I mean, like, I follow schools out here, but they're not directly in conflict with Syracuse. Right, right. And, I mean, occasionally Tulane's directly in conflict, but you look at it, you're like, oh, well, Syracuse will probably beat the hell out of them, which they did, which they did. So it doesn't bother me, you know? But, ugh, I just couldn't believe it. He was so happy. Sorry, I <laughs> need to get that in earlier. Uh, all right, I hope man. Kirk listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care, Sandman. See you next week.
Peace.